Yeah, good morning. Uh, my name is Brian Hepp. I have the joy and privilege of uh, being the youth director here at Northfield. Uh, it's been a good year. I uh, love these teens for the most part. Um, happy Father's Day, right? Uh, happy Father's Day, Dad, if you get the chance to watch this. Um, this morning, the passage that we'll be getting into actually talks about uh, fathers, one of our main roles in parenting, and uh, it also especially talks about our Heavenly Father. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it. God, uh, we just come before you, and we give you this time. Lord, we want to know you more. Help us to know you more uh, through your word, and um, yeah, fill us with your spirit that we'd have eyes to see, ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so, uh, raise your hand. <laughs> I bet you all like that. Raise your hand if you would say, I don't have it all together. Just raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. Yes. Yes, that's most of us. Uh, and I know some of you didn't raise your hand probably because the guy up here asked you to. Sometimes I, well, I'm like that too. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, none of us have it all together. None of us have it all together. There can be this illusion or facade in this type of context like we have it all together um, and we're all happy, but I just want to expose that. Uh, if you are broken, you are in the right place. That's what church is. You saw all the hands raised. Uh, if we were all to dress on the outside how we're doing on the inside, spiritually, emotionally, or physically, like we probably wouldn't look as good, right? Um, there is only one who has it all together, and his name is Jesus, and that's who we lift up this morning. Amen. Uh, we gather as broken people. Life is hard. And I'm going to start this message um, on a down note, a depressing note, uh, but one that is based in reality. I don't think I need to convince many of you of how terrible life can be. We live in a broken world. Life is hard. As the years go by, we get beaten down more and more. We see more and more pain. We see more and more things break, more and more people suffering around us. We have more and more health problems. Let's all be real. And uh, there's the big stuff like death and sickness, uh, but there's also broken relationships, anxiety, just day-to-day -day frustrations. And even when everything is going well in our lives, life is still hard. All the daily tasks and upkeep of things, chores, all the self-care that we need. Not to mention maintaining our mental health, um, like having a sense of purpose and meaning in life. Uh, in other words, even when everything is going well in life, we can still struggle with depression, lack of purpose, anxiety, like when's the next thing going to blow up? And unfortunately, most people in the world, most people in the world, don't respond well to the piling up of life's difficulties and problems just year upon year, chiseling away at us. 
Now, I'm sure many of us have seen um, people who've gotten more and more bitter over time, hard-hearted over time. And so in the face of the worst that life can throw at us or just those hardships chiseling away at us, like how do we keep ourselves from becoming people that we never thought we'd become, maybe bitter, spiteful, irritable all the time? That's the question. In Hebrews 12, we're going to be at in this morning, it, it speaks to this. It's Hebrews 12, 4 to 13. It's page 1009 in your pew Bibles. If you're going to go there, uh, I'll have a different translation uh, up on uh, the screen, but you'll get the gist. 1009. I'm going to read the passage first. And then we'll work our way through it. So verse 4, see if that works. Oh my gosh, it works. It's the first time I've ever used one of these things. They said it has a, oh, look at that. Okay, wow. This is life-changing. I'm distracted. Shoot. Okay, let's read. Uh, in your struggle against sin, no, sorry. Yes, that's right. Uh, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure a hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace For those who have been trained by it, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So, uh, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I've always liked this verse because I've always thought the whole shedding your blood was like figurative, like we need to make every effort in our struggle against sin. Um, but as I read a few commentaries, uh, it seems that it's actually literal. Like it's seemingly, it's referring to the recipients of this letter. Uh, their struggle with persecution hadn't yet reached the point of martyrdom, the literal shedding of, the blo- of, of their blood. It's kind of the consensus in that their struggle with sin in this verse um, could have possibly meant their struggle with their own sin, yes, um, but also their struggle with like sin in general of their persecutors. And so just interesting. Uh, Verse 5, I don't know if I did this or not. Okay, yeah. Um, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And so... With this first verse 4 and first part of 5, it almost seems like he's saying, 
to the recipients, you don't have it that bad yet as far as persecution. And you're forgetting some of some important scripture in the midst of persecution. You're forgetting this scripture that says, and he's quoting Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. Uh, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He quotes the proverb and then he gets into some exposition or explanation of the proverb all the way to verse 11. And he starts that with verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And so first he says a very profound thing. Like when you think about it, endure hardship, that's all hardship in life, as discipline. And that was probably not easy to hear amongst the recipients They were experiencing at least imprisonments and uh, the confiscation of their properties and possessions. We know that from the rest of the letter in Hebrews. And then we hear the author tell them, consider that persecution as discipline from God. That's crazy. When it was probably so easy to throw a pity party because of their persecution, persecutions, he was saying, no, you're not the victim. Consider this hardship as directly from God. And here's why I think he said that. Like it's implied that they had not been responding to the persecutions in the best way. The author literally calls out their forgetting of this proverb. And in the proverb, in the proverb, there are two problems that it addresses. First, one is, quote, uh, making light of the Lord's discipline. And then the second one is, quote, losing heart. And it's implied that the Hebrews um, were doing these two things. That, that, that's why they were being called out. And so we're going to talk about these two things more specifically. So making light, that Greek word, means to care little for, to make small account of, to view as beneath consideration, worthless, to disregard. <clears throat> And I think they were struggling to see the purpose of their hardships they were facing. Uh, They were making light of them. They were not considering and seeing how God could be the agent behind their hardship and how he wanted to teach them something through it. Um, Instead, they were just making light of it and possibly just toughing it out. Um, Or making light could have been them complaining, like seeing the hardship as uh, pointless and that they're the victim, uh, complaining like once again there was no personal God intentionally allowing and orchestrating the hardship. This um, making light is basically operating with the practical worldview that God is not that personal, that he's somewhat distant and uncaring in the problems that we're facing. And so we have making light and then um, the other problem the proverb is addressing is losing heart in the midst of hardship. And that means to give up, to stop trying, to despair. Once again, this would be the result of 
not seeing hardship as having a pre-planned purpose by a loving God. And then he asks in verse 7, what children are not disciplined by their father? And the obvious answer to that question is that every child is disciplined by their father. If the father is loving, then their child will be disciplined. Like, unfortunately, humanly speaking, that's not always the case, right? With human fathers. But as fathers, um, that's, that's, that's one of our primary responsibilities uh, with parenting is disciplining our children. Happy Father's Day, right? Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up, bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Um, one book that I have found to be extremely helpful is called Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's by Ted Tripp. Um, it's an excellent book of, on what it, when it comes to uh, what healthy biblical discipline looks like. Very practical, too. Um, a loving father does, does discipline his children. Verse 8, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Um, I grew up in a home where there was discipline. And there were multiple times where my dad put the fear of God in me. And this verse is true. Uh, like, I especially now, like, respect him so much for that. I am so thankful. He taught me right from wrong. He taught me that I couldn't always trust myself. He taught me that I couldn't always trust what I wanted. He taught me that an authority outside of me knew what was best for me morally. And thank you, Dad, if you're watching this once again, or if you get the chance to watch it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dads, we are called to this. No more passivity. No more playing it cool or acting cool. We're called to put the fear of God in a healthy way in our children. Continuing on with verse 9. How much more should we submit Sorry, I'm distracted. All right. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits, that's our spiritual father rather than our earthly father, and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. And this is where we see the author point out to the good purpose of God's loving discipline of us. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I remember the first time that I, that I um, disciplined my daughter, Olivia, and she was so cute. Goodness gracious, she was so young. We are called to inflict some pain on our children in order to teach them lessons. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. However, it produces good things. It has produced good things, and it did produce good things in our toddler Olivia. 
And then finally, verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. In other words, if we don't respond to the Lord's discipline and hardship in, the, in life in the right way, it will disable us. You will be disabled. But if we respond to it in the right way, we will be healed. And I'll come back to this. And so I'm going to summarize the progression in this passage First, the foundation where it begins, this is essential to understand, is that God loves us. God loves us. God accepts us. God considers us to be his child through Jesus. But we have a sin problem, and that is our responsibility. And so his action toward us, because he's loving, in response to our sin condition is that he disciplines us. He chastens us. He rebukes us. He brings hardship into our lives. In other words, having discipline and hardship in our lives confirms that we are the Lord's and that he loves us. Not that we aren't the Lord's and that he doesn't love us. And then in the progression in response to the hardship in our lives, we have two paths that we could take, two responses we can either endure it, as it says in verse 7, which basically means um, to take patiently, to persevere, to bear calmly, and choose to be trained by it in verse 11, or we can respond poorly, as defined in verse 5, by losing heart, making light of it, toughing it out bitterly, or, or complaining our way through it. And then the result of these two paths we could take, the result of responding well, verse 10 and 11, our good comes about. We become more like Christ. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. And then verse 13, we are healed. But the result of not responding well, verse 12, we remain weak and feeble. And it's not talking about physically there. It's talking about spiritually those Greek words mean spiritually paralyzed, spiritually sick, exhausted. We remain lame, verse 13, and we become, quote, disabled, which means having dislocated limbs, spiritually speaking. How do you look today spiritually? Are you lame? Are you paralyzed? Are you sick? Do you look the, the same way on the inside as you do on the outside? Or do you care more about what people see on the outside and less about what God sees on the inside? So that's the progression. So now application, present day in our context, hardship equals God's discipline. That's verse 7. All hardship in life is ultimately discipline. First of all, do we realize that? And then do we, actually, do we actually live that perspective out? That God is literally the agent behind the hardship you're facing right now. God is. I'm sorry to say that, but then I'm not sorry, because this is the truth. God is the agent behind the hardship you're facing in your life right now. It's not that you're just unlucky. 
And it's not that you just have some problematic person in your life. God is behind these situations in your life. All hardship in life is discipline. But if all hardship in life is discipline, then I guess we could conclude, we could conclude that people with a lot of hardship in their lives, well, they just need more discipline. They're extra wayward, right? But no, that's not always the case. Uh, And we see this in John 9 very clearly in their interaction with a blind person. The disciples literally asked Jesus who sinned that this person should be blind, him or his parents. And they were sort of operating on that idea that one has more hardship in their life when they have more sin. But Jesus answers it very clearly. John 9, you can look it up later. No one sinning caused this man's blindness. And yes, of course, sometimes God's discipline is administered through the natural consequences of specific sins. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like if we lie and get found out or if we're promiscuous and get an STD, you will receive consequences. God's discipline through the consequences of your sin. But I would say, actually, that most times God's discipline on us is general and not because of a specific sin. Because we have a sin nature. And this is um, part of what the curse of the fall was. God cursed all things when we sinned, bringing hardship and suffering on all of us. And what this means is that when bad things happen to us, we are not the victim. In a sense, one may argue that we are a victim, like if it's a natural disaster or a health problem, but in a sense, even with those, we aren't. The whole who, like why does, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a non-question, it's illegitimate question. Because the curse of the fall is God's holy, holy loving discipline on collective humanity in order to break us in this life. And ooh, that rubs against our pride, right? In order to break, again, break us in this life so that we'd come to our senses and repent and seek the Lord. And one of the reasons this is so important to understand is because there's this worldview, though, that like a lot of Christians, Christians, there's this worldview, though, that I think a lot of Christians can get wrapped up in, myself included, and that is that all these bad things happen to us in life, and we're, we're sort of the victim, and we go to God for help. And that's pretty popular, actually, in our culture. It's popular to to see ourselves as a victim, but we go to God to help, and he helps us. And while that is true, in a sense, the deeper truth, once again, is that all these hardships are coming upon us because we are sinful. Death comes to us all because we are in sin. And because so much of God's discipline on us is general and not Specific, the more important thing when we're experiencing hardship is not knowing why we're being disciplined, but how we respond to it. I don't know about you guys, but like when something bad happens to me, my one of my first thoughts is like, okay, what did I do to deserve this? 
Like, what is God disciplining me for? The most important thing is not necessarily why we're being disciplined, but, but, but how we respond to it. Brokenness, not bitterness. Softness of heart, not hardness of heart. Sadness, not spitefulness. And so how are you doing responding to hardship in your life? Like we're all in this together. Life is hard. Are you grumbling? Are you complaining? Are you blame shifting? Is your heart becoming hard and bitter about certain things? You know, if we're just complaining our way through life, there is a rebuke here. We're forgetting the proverb. And you know, I can tell when one of our kids starts to harden their hearts when we're disciplining them. Like, it's plain as day. It's pretty plain when people go bitter. You're not hiding anything from anyone. It's plain as day when our kids harden their hearts in the midst of discipline, but it's such a relief, such a relief when instead of bitterness, they respond by being broken and teachable. Like, it's so, so sweet. And so how are you responding to life's difficulties and problems? What we believe about God and his relationship to the hardship in our life will directly influence how we respond to it. And so the question is, um, the question to the, or so the answer, sorry, the answer to the question of how can I grow in responding to hardship better in my life? Like I don't want to grow bitter or spiteful or irritable all the time. The answer isn't found in toughing it out. It's found in believing the truth about the connection between God and the hardship I'm dealing with. And once again, the, the, the connection starts with the first thing, the foundation. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That God has accepted us as his child. If we've received Jesus as Savior and Lord or boss of our lives. Many here maybe accept Jesus as the Savior intellectually, but not, a, not as the boss of your life. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. There's no question there. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's decisive and sure. There's assurance there. In other words, it's not this. It's not this. This message is not about responding to the Lord's discipline and hardship in your life in a right way in order to be accepted by God. This is not the message. It's that we are accepted by God through faith in Jesus. That is something that gives us joy. We're accepted through faith in Jesus already. He considers us his child and because he loves us and has already accepted us, he brings hardship into our lives for our good. Once again, what we believe about God and his relationship to the hardship in our life will directly influence how we respond to it. And uh, I'm just going to end with trying to explain a little bit about what, like, what this has meant to me personally.
and why I'm sharing it this morning. Uh, my personal experience of life, when I'm honest, in the last seven years has been difficult. And I am somewhat of a weenie, so there is that. But a lot of hardship. A wife with uh, chronic health problems and a lot of demands. And it's sort of hard to explain, but there will be times when something goes wrong or like frustrating in my day, and my first response is to fight it and to get really irritated, maybe have anxiety. Um, But more and more, it's a crazy thing. Praise God for his spirit that intervenes in our lives. More and more, I have found myself remembering that hardship in my life is to be expected. It's how things are supposed to be. It's God's loving discipline, the curse of the fall, doing exactly, exactly what it's designed to do, to humble me. And, and, and so when I have found myself remembering this, um, in the moment of frustration at something that maybe like not going my way in my day, I have experienced this like surprising peace, this, this subtle peace, even relief. Um, and, and I think this is part of what this passage is talking about when it says that we'll receive a harvest of peace. Like, like, like something goes wrong or the day is really hard and I'm fighting it. Frustrated, irritated, but then I remember, no. Like, this is the way that life is supposed to be. And in that moment, if I'm alone, I'll just lift up my hands to God. Like, nothing to offer him but acceptance. Like, acceptance of the hardship. Acceptance of the discipline, rather than fighting it. And I'm growing to love that peace of accepting hardship rather than fighting it. That peace of accepting hardship, just knowing that God's purpose is being fulfilled. His will is being done. My humbling. And, and, and there is a joy that comes in that, knowing even that, that I'm responding to it in the right way. There's joy in that. And and of course, of course, like accepting it doesn't fix the problems. But it does bring us that peace that he promises. And and once again, I'll be the first to admit that I, I by no means do this all the time. Like I screw up often. And I fight hardship in my life often. But I've experienced this more and more in the past like couple years and just wanted to share it this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray. Lord, um, man, thanks for loving us. God, we, we, we are desperate to know that you love us because of what, life, what, what happens in life sometimes. We are so disoriented, disoriented by life sometimes, Lord. It doesn't make sense sometimes, the injustice, the... the um, the tragedies that happen. So we cling to that promise that you love us and that you will make all things new. I mean, if you didn't spare your son in the torture that he endured, Lord, why would we think you would spare us 
because you have a greater, grander purpose. And we believe that by faith today. Help us to believe. And God, I just want to specifically pray for anyone here that's struggling with seeing other people go through less hardship in life. Lord, help them to run the race that you've marked out for them with perseverance and strength. God, why you give certain people a harder life than others, we don't understand. But we know you're just and you, we know you're going to make all things new. And, and Lord, help us to be faithful to you with the race that you've called us to run and not compare to other, other people and what races you've called them to run. Be with us this morning, we pray. We need you. In Jesus' name, we ask. Amen.